Welcome back to the R&R Experience Podcast. Today's segment will focus on your mental and emotional well-being during the holiday season. Although depression, anxiety, and grief can occur any time of the year, the months of November, December, and January can be especially difficult. It is impossible to cover every mental health ailment. So today we'll just look at depression, anxiety, and grief, and hopefully give you some tips to use during the holiday season and other times throughout the year. Our guest today, John Zell Anderson, is a licensed professional counselor serving clients across the Commonwealth of Virginia, both virtually and in person. He's the owner of Panoramic Counseling in Richmond, Virginia, and specializes in treating adolescents and young adults. He's the father of an almost three-year-old toddler, Maya Jane, and enjoys reading memoirs and writing for his blog. He also hosts his own podcast called Perfectly Imperfect, which focuses on mental health in communities of color. So welcome, Donzel. Thank you for having me. So um, the first question I wanted to ask you, since we're going to be talking about on this podcast uh, about depression and grief, uh, what exactly is mental health? Like what, what is the terminology? How do you describe mental health? Okay. So mental health, I like to think of as you know, we know about our physical health. We go to our annual physicals. We do our follow-up appointments. Uh, if needed, we take medications. We exercise. We we tend to our physical being, our body. Um, and we're also emotional uh, creatures and social beings, right? Mental health focuses on our, our thoughts, our mind, our... Um, the environments around us and how we handle them. Uh, so mental health doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong with your emotions. It just mm-hmm. means the, the functioning of those elements. So if we were talking about our physical health, we could say, Oh, I'm healthy. Uh, I can move well. I eat healthy. I can, my body does what it's supposed to do. Mental health is that for the mind. Okay. So why do you think there is a stigma around the word mental health, especially in the African-American community? So that's a, that's a nuanced question. Uh, Part of the reason for my podcast is trying to peel back some of those layers, but the stigma around mental health, Let me think about that for a second. Many different sides to it. I think one is a lack of understanding. Uh, Also, uh, as Black people, we historically uh, in the medical field have been used as, you know, research subjects. Uh, and so there's a, uh, a big amount of distrust towards anything that's considered clinical mm-hmm. and everybody, every black person can probably name at least one person who said something along the lines of therapy is for white people. So we have those, uh, those messages being sent out 
And we also have the internal policing within our communities where if somebody, say, goes to a, a psych ward at a hospital or if they take a medication for their bipolar or if they have a, quote, mental breakdown, which oftentimes is a, a panic attack or a burnout, right? Mm-hmm. They're seen as being crazy. And within our uh, black and brown communities, we often treat those who are struggling with their emotions as less than, and it's usually based in ignorance. We just don't know better. Um, So there's a lot of stigma around it. And I've heard countless stories of people who have dealt with that stigma within their families, within their communities And the most dangerous part of stigma is that it keeps people from from accessing the resources and the help that could improve their quality of life. Hmm. That's good because I'll say from from my own personal experience, um, I had had a um, panic attack, a major panic attack. I had never had one um, a few years back um, when my husband was going through cancer treatment. And I remember talking to my primary care and I was telling her what happened because I had to end up going to the ER that day. And I just felt like my muscles were like, like burning underneath my skin. Like I just felt horrible. So after that, I went to see her and I was talking to her and she was like, well, Regina, I think you had a panic attack. And I looked at her, I was like, a what? A panic attack? Like I've, I've never had that before. I had never experienced anything like that. But once she kind of broke everything down, she was like, yeah, you know, sometimes people can react to things after, you know, things are over with. And she was like, well, you know, if you find yourself, you know, having um, issues with that, you know, after you leave, let me know. And, you know, she said, we can talk about some alternatives as far as medicine. And I was very reluctant because I really had just always thought like, well, if someone has to take medicine, it's that that myth, like, oh, they're crazy. And that's kind of the comment I made to her because I didn't know. I was just going by what I had heard people say. And she was like, no, (laughs) she said it's not because we were talking about Xanax. And I was very, very reluctant to like even have that conversation, even knowing the extent of my panic attack. And then I was having them like more often that I like I couldn't drive. I just felt like I was going to jump out my skin. And thank God for having a good doctor. We were able like to really sit down and she broke everything down to me, you know, in medical terms and you know, so I became more comfortable once I got the education that I needed instead of just going by like the myths that I've always heard throughout the years. So I think that's good that you pointed that out because sometimes we were just misinf- misinformed. Mm-hmm. And that was a good point you well, made at pick- the end about um, the education being a great way to fight stigma. That's that's really the solution to it, especially within the black community. Absolutely. 
Well, I wanted to piggyback on what you were saying as far as your grief. Um, how does grief, anxiety, and depression overlap? How, how is it connected? It really depends on the person. Because, for example, <clears throat> if I take a, um, say I have a headache and you have a headache, and I take a, a Tylenol, right? It may react different for you than it will for me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to grief and anxiety and depression, I may experience it as, for example, anxiety has many symptoms other than worry. Um, anxiety has uh, sometimes irritability. Sometimes it comes across as anger. Sometimes it comes across as uh, indecisiveness, flakiness, uh, isolation. There's so many different ways that it can express itself, just like if uh, different people were to all have a headache and they take a Tylenol, it may react with them very differently. Uh, as far as anxiety, depression, and grief, it is very possible to have all three. For example, Regina uh, lost her the love of her life, and that is a mm-hmm. deep, ongoing grief, right? Grief doesn't go away. It just changes right. forms, and it uh, changes shape over time. It mm-hmm. hopefully with, you know, doing the work becomes uh, something that is more livable, right? If Right when it happens, it's sharp edges over time. Those edges start to round off and mm-hmm. become a little bit um, more bearable and more comfortable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about this time of year, we have Thanksgiving coming up this week. I personally, yes. as a therapist, uh, see an uptick in everything around this time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh I exist with a a level of dread about the holidays myself, uh, mainly because I've been a therapist for over seven years. So I know that this is, this is basically the time of year where all therapists, like all hands on deck, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, People, um, especially black people are going home to chaotic families, broken families, uh, dealing with, you know, the person in their family who has an addiction, dealing with financial burdens, dealing with, uh, you know, oftentimes the holidays bring up that grief, the the people who we've lost in the past year. Or um, I've noticed that even working with clients, uh, when bad things happen, they somehow uh, often develop an association with the holidays, right? So people who say lost someone three years ago, but it was right before Thanksgiving, they have a permanent association then with Thanksgiving, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so they're dealing with the grief, but they're also dealing with anxiety leading up to it, that dread, that knowing that they're going to have those heavy feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, um, and so to answer your question, they're very, they can be very interrelated and um, all happening at the same time. And sometimes people can have uh, one of those three things going on. Sometimes they can have two of them going on. So um, they can definitely be um, intertwined, but they can exist independently too. And it really depends on the person who's experiencing it, but also the environment that they're in. And uh, there's a lot of different factors that are at play Mm -hmm. there. 
Hmm. Okay. Are there any particular signs of depression? Because I think we've seen a lot, you know, in celebrity news and local news where, you know, a lot of people have committed suicide. And I think probably Mm -hmm. the number one thing you hear people around them say is, well, I didn't know they were that bad. I, I didn't see she she looked like she was okay. He looked like he was okay. What mm-hmm. are the signs that we need to look for, you know, if we feel that someone has, you know, gone to that stage of depression? Yes. So this is definitely the time of year where like I said, it's all hands on deck for therapists and mental health workers because we have a, a an important thing that happened a week or two ago, and that's daylight savings time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens is our uh, circadian rhythms are kind of thrown off kilter because our, our clocks change and we're seeing the days end sooner. And uh, for, you know, people of color, uh, we have melanin, but one of the drawbacks of that is that we don't absorb vitamin D as readily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so vitamin D is uh, correlated with mood and uh, mental health. So we start to, most people start to experience like a, a slump. It's, it's referred to as like seasonal depression, also known as the winter blues seasonal affective disorder. Um, and some people have varying levels of symptoms. Uh, as for your question of like what to look for, um, especially as related to depression turning into like suicidal ideations and stuff, isolation is a big one. Uh, because we're indoors, because we're, it's cold outside because of that, we aren't seeing people as often in the colder months. And on top of that, we still have COVID and flu and all these, um, is it called RSV or something, all these different things going around, um, and people are cautious, you know, so we're, we're already reducing our social interactions. Um, so we can't always see when people are isolating. So I think that's a big one. Other signs could be fatigue, uh, being burned out, um, forgetfulness, uh, disorganization, irritability. Uh, you might notice uh, if you are or somebody you know is feeling depressed, you might notice they're sleeping a whole lot uh, Mm -hmm. or they're not sleeping enough at all. Uh, And the same can be true for like nutrition. Sometimes depression makes people overeat. Sometimes depression makes people not eat at all. And yeah, it can, it can show itself in many different ways. Mm. Yeah. I know with depression, sometimes people it's confusing because they don't know if I'm just feeling blue or melancholy. Um, and it's hard for them to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, and especially if they don't want to diagnose themselves as, as having depression, they get used to the pattern of just feeling that way, feeling the slump that becomes a, the norm for a lot managing. of people. 
I'm managing, yes. Mm. And uh, so that's one of the things we're trying to, it, how do you know if, if it's, if, is it the blues or is it true depression? Do you self-diagnose? How do you know what to do? Okay. Uh, as a therapist, of course, I got to say, you can't diagnose yourself. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 of course, great to be able to, to recognize signs and to see when something's not quite right. But uh, finding an actual diagnosis, you want to leave that to the professionals. Uh, and I say that as, you know, I am a therapist, but I'm also a client. I see my therapist regularly, especially this time of year, uh, when because I I'm very uh, impacted by the winter, um, the winter blues, the seasonal depression. Mine actually kicked in probably three or so weeks before daylight savings time. It seems like it's starting a little bit earlier every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to answer your question, what's the difference between? just the winter blues and like full blown, like seasonal depression or just depression in general. Uh, The difference is the winter blues is a milder version. When I say milder, it means it's not significantly impacting your physical, emotional, social functioning. Depression or seasonal depression, depending on what we're looking at, is significantly impacting one of those areas. So your your body, uh, that's your fatigue, that's your, uh, you know, oversleeping, uh, eating too much, that's your body, uh, social, you're isolating yourself, and it's impacting your social life, it's impacting your family life. And then you've got your emotional, uh, are you having crying spells? Are you feeling so overwhelmed? Are you having a panic attack? Like what uh, Regina was explaining about feeling like she was having a heart attack. And side note, um, because I've worked in a medical setting, uh, I've worked at a hospital in a mental health capacity before. I've had doctors and nurses say that as much as probably 75% of people who come into the ER, and this is just a statistic based off of conversations, it's not uh, anything exact, but as much as 75% of people who come in thinking they're having a heart attack is actually panic attacks. Wow. And, and people have never experienced it before. And the first encounter that people are getting with, uh, mental health is in the emergency department. And oftentimes those people are not well equipped to handle that as far as like educating and stuff like that. And in our community, black people, Oftentimes, when mental health issues strike, the emergency room is where they go. And mm-hmm. that's very indicative of how we handle our physical health, too. We know, uh, at least can count on one hand, how many Black people who will not go to the doctor for their checkups, their physicals, their uh, vaccines, their anything. But they'll let, let it get so bad that they have to go to the emergency department. That's the only time they get health care. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that is systemic, that is generational. Um, you know, we have generational distrust in the health system, um, and all of these things. So the same thing is occurring with mental health. Uh, it, oh, I can manage, I'm fine. You know, I just got to pray. I got to go to church, Mm -hmm. you know, and when it gets so bad, 
you're in a hospital, you know, wanting to end it all. And that's when you finally get help. Right. Mm. And oftentimes it's just a brief encounter. And then people are like, oh, I'm good. Uh, it's, you know, that's, that's kind of how it can like escalate and balloon out. So I forgot what the original question was, but I think I answered it. Uh, you did. You did. I, I, I wanted to follow up on something you said, because you talked about seasonal affective disorder and it just reminded me of something. I lost my mother in July and sometimes I don't remember, um, that she's gone until, probably close to the anniversary of her death. And then I feel really sad and despondent. Um, And then I check the calendar or there's a reminder and I'm like, oh, maybe that's why I was feeling bad. It's as if my body Mm -hmm. or something knows what's going on, even Mm -hmm. though I'm not fully aware of what's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. So just trying to be in tune to what's going on in my surroundings and that sort of thing during that time period. But I, I do know that there's a, a, a definite connection, like with the mind body, even if I'm not always a, aware of what's happening. Yeah, we experience things like I explained uh, physically, emotionally and socially. And if you're if you have a faith practice, sometimes even spiritually, Mm -hmm. Um, so we can experience the same event in all of those different areas. Right. Um, so I know, uh, Regina experiences an increase in, uh, anxiety around the anniversary of her husband's passing. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when it was actually happening, her body imprinted memories of anxiety and, uh, mm. worry and all of those things. So those memories and those emotions were stored in her body. And so mm. we hold on to that energy and this isn't anything woo woo. It's, I mean, we're literally balls of energy. Our bodies run on electricity. Yeah. Um, so it stores okay. that energy and we, we live everything in this world is cycles. So we're in this calendar cycle when we know we can just like feel, oh, this is that time of year. It's like I said, when Thanksgiving and Christmas approaches and New Year's, I feel a sense of dread mainly because I'm a mental health worker. And I think of all the people who are going to deal with their traumas around this time of year, deal with those toxic people, deal mm-hmm. with those um, broken family dynamics and stuff. Um, and so I notice where that energy is stored in me, my shoulders and my neck. Um Mm-hmm. And I get a lot more headaches um, mm-hmm. and I just feel more tense. Right. So we um, like you said, you you kind of have stored that and you're even if you're not really looking at the calendar like that, you're in a cycle to where your body subconsciously knows what's going on and is remembering it, even though you're going about your day to day. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, because um, I was going to ask you, like, why do you um, think that some people um, cope better than others when it comes with dealing with those different type of stressors? Or is it more so kind of what you talked about earlier, like some things are just like a personality thing, how your body reacts? Because for me, I know when my husband passed and, you know, people would ask me how I'm doing. I'm like, oh, I'm OK. Or you know, they would be like, you are just so strong. And they did it as a compliment, but actually every time they did it, it felt like a knife that was slicing me. And 
that's because that's like my personality. Mm-hmm. I tend to just put a mask other people on because feel I, better. Yeah, because I know what I got to do. I put a mask on and keep it going. But is that like a personality thing or just like, is it some type of like, you know, chemical, you know, mm-hmm. reaction the body has that it just naturally, some people just deal with things better. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, we all react to our environments differently. Kind of like that metaphor I gave with taking a Tylenol for, we mm-hmm. all have head, like say the three of us have a headache and we take a Tylenol. It's going to react to each of us differently and play out differently. Um, we deal with our environment and our world in a variety of defense mechanisms. We know that term defense mechanisms and it's how we, at the end of the day, our body is wired for self-preservation. So because we're wired for self-preservation, meaning survival, right? Uh, If you're walking at night and you see the shimmer of a knife in the, the moonlight, right? You don't have to sit there and think, hmm, that's a blade. I should run, right? Mm-hmm. Your body automatically knows danger, defense mechanism, self-preservation. It's going to kick you into gear and you're going to be running in the opposite direction before you really even know what's going on, mm-hmm. right? So when it comes to other things, whether it be a life stressor, grief, anxiety, dread, overwhelming, um, like your workload is piling up on you or something like that. We all through our life's life and experiences have developed different ways, right? So um, for me, having a panic attack, I might deal with that by increasing my exercise, uh, going on a run Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, talking to my uh, psychiatrist about Uh, my medication regimen to see if it's appropriate for what I'm going through. Uh, Whereas some people may not take the therapy and exercise route. They may go to church and that's their, that's their way of dealing with things. Um, But I guess the question you were getting at is do some people handle it better or uh, is it like a personality thing? Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of like, um, everybody has so many different experiences and things that they've been through. And so I liken it to, um, you know, working out. Uh, I live with a pan, it's called panic disorder. It's a form of anxiety disorder, right? Mm-hmm. So I've dealt with enough panic attacks to not freak out so bad when they mm-hmm. happen. Um, and it's kind of a superpower as a therapist because I can talk to clients and relate with their experiences of panic attacks and kind of respond to that well. Think of that. So if we're talking about working out, that's a muscle that is very well developed for me. I've been through enough of my own panic attacks and I've been in this field for long enough to see it happen in various different ways. I've strengthened that muscle. So my, let's say, defense mechanism to anxiety is pretty well developed. Uh, but on the other hand, let's, let's think of, uh, grief. I haven't dealt with a lot of losses in my life. So my grief muscle is less developed than yours or Regina's, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so because y'all dealt with that, your grief muscle is stronger. 
if I go through a significant loss, my experience with it will probably be a lot more uh, challenging, right? Um, whereas um, if you don't, if you haven't dealt with a lot of anxiety, I might deal with it a little bit better because I've dealt with so much of it. Um, so it's not necessarily like a, a personality trait or um, like, cause I always, I believe that all humans are equal and that we're common in our humanity. Uh, but just like going to the gym, not every single person at a given gym is going to have all of the same muscles worked out the exact same way with the exact same strength and be able to lift the exact same weights and run the exact amount of time. Everybody's at a different level. And that's really what life is about is constantly fine tuning and developing those different muscles. Um, and some of them just are underdeveloped and that's when we deal with stress and challenges in life. Mm, okay. Mm. That was good information. Just reminds me of um, when you're talking, you're dealing with the individual. So everybody deals with things differently. Yeah. So there's not one way of, of coping or one way of dealing with everything. So to keep that in mind, I think sometimes people think that if Regina's coping a certain way, then I need to cope the way that she's coping. Or if I don't, then maybe I'm, I'm weak or vice versa. Um, but just looking at it as an individual um, thing, I think is important to do. Mm-hmm. And speaking of hers, because um, I know her story, um, you know, she talked about how she would kind of say, oh, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in that time, she she had two boys that she had to make sure were straight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're dealing with loss, but they're also at, you know, I think one was in uh, high school, one was getting ready to graduate, go to college, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so her experience of grief is different than say, um, uh, a person who's single and doesn't have kids losing a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because mm-hmm. her environment is different. Uh, her mm-hmm. obligations and expectations are very different. Um, so that's how it impacts how she experienced it. Um, but she also said like, when someone says you're so strong, it felt like a knife because mm-hmm. yeah she didn't have the option to, to say, I'm not doing okay because the, the, the obligation of being a parent and keeping holding down the fort was the top priority. She, and and that's why I felt like a knife because she wasn't able to take the time to grieve and to just say that she wasn't okay. Um, I think Regina, you said that's when therapy came in. That was your way to finally get that out when you, yeah, I, yeah, I remember my very first um, like um, therapy session, and it was just like kind of just like she wasn't like my therapist, but she was the person that would refer you to someone. And I did not expect like as soon as I sat down and opened my mouth, I totally fell apart, and I was like, "Oh, I am so sorry." <laughs> and she was like, "You're fine. You're fine." And I was like. I don't even know what happened, but I will say because I had children, there were many times that my feelings had to be pushed down in order to be strong for them. So had we not had children, 
I can't tell you how I would react because it would still be different. But because I had children, I put my feelings sometimes, I pushed them down because, you know, we as women, you got to be strong for everybody. So I am definitely say I am guilty of that. Um, but yeah, it it was, you know, first therapy session. I just was like, I don't even know what just happened. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, I, uh, the oldest of seven, and when my mother passed away, a lot of the responsibility fell on me. So I didn't have the opportunity to to grieve. I think I went straight into denial mode. And Mm -hmm. true story, it probably took me about 10 years before I even shared with other people that my mom had died. So when people would see me, they would say, well, how your, well, how's your mom doing? I would say, oh, she's fine. She's, she's, she's great. That was my coping mechanism. Just mm, to, wow. I knew that it happened, but I didn't want to uh, deal with those feelings. And it was easier for me to focus on my siblings and what they were going through and making sure yep. that they were okay. I was in that protective mode, but I really needed to focus on myself and, and uh, get myself uh, therapy. I'm an advocate of therapy. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did really, it did, it helped me get in touch with some of my feelings and deal with some of the, the grief that I, that I had. This brings me to the question, is, is depression, is it genetic or is it caused by environmental factors? Another great question. In anybody who's, say, been in a psychology class or um anything along those lines has learned about the concept of nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically what nature versus nurture is nature is your envi- uh I'm sorry, nature is your genetics. That's, that's what you're given uh, kind of your, your standard equipment, right? Uh, say your uh, both of your parents, are alcoholics and their parents were alcoholics. Genetically speaking, your nature is going to be predisposed to alcoholism, right? That's your genetic. But the nurture is your environment. It's what you're given in things that are uh, changeable, right? So you may have the nature of being predisposed to alcoholism, but if you're brought up in a, a, a healthy home environment where there isn't um, uh, events and things that are uh, activating that genetic component, you could probably be okay. Uh, same thing goes with uh, raising children. Um, they've done studies where, say, twins, identical twins were um, put up for adoption at birth. One child went to one family, one child went to another. And if they are very different environments, they have that same nature, right? They literally have the same genetics. Mm-hmm. But nurture is the environment that they're being uh, raised in. They can turn out to be two really completely different people with really different outcomes. Um, so to answer your question, it's both. Depression is can be genetic. It can also be um, environmental. And I think specifically for folks of color, um, there's a concept, uh, that, uh, Dr. Joy DeGray, uh, talks about, it's called post-traumatic slave syndrome. 
we, for layman's terms, basically Black people, we carry uh, generational trauma from our ancestors that is passed down. Um, and it's actually um, measurable. Um, we, uh, the, the stress and the trauma is passed down genetically. Uh, just like I talked about, like alcoholism, that trauma of enslavement has been passed down. So we're already predisposed to um, those stressors of our ancestors in addition to the environment that we live in today in 2022. Um, so it's both. It's nature, nurture, genetics, and environment for depression and pretty much any condition you can think of. Hmm. Makes sense. So I know you touched you touched on it briefly um, earlier about the differences, um, like racial and social differences, um, when it comes to depression. Like, why do you think that exists, and how do we how do we get past that, especially in the African American community? Like, how do we get past that? Another huge question that I wish I could answer uh, <laughs> easily. Um, so you're asking me, is it, are you asking me why it happens or how we get past it or both? Kind of both. Yeah. Cause I mean, we know that it exists. There are differences, you know, with people's mindset when it comes to, you know, seeking therapy for depression Um you know, it has to do with race and also just social, like financial wise. So yeah, economic mm -hmm. barriers. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I think I'll, I'll answer in two parts. So as far as why we're um, uh, people of color are say behind the curve when it comes to mental health care. So we're talking about mental health, but mental health care just like we mm -hmm. talk about health, physical health, and then mm -hmm. healthcare, right? Um, so I like to compare the, uh, you know, we talked about how women are more likely to deal with their health and go to a doctor than men are. Sure. Um, white people, or unmelanated people, if you will, uh, are more likely to deal with their health than black people. Uh, and then when you go to the topic of mental health, it looks very similar. Uh, black women are more likely to go to therapy than black men. Mm -hmm. uh, black people in general are less likely to go to therapy than white people in general. And the reasons are kind of what you touched on. Sometimes it's generational. Well, my, my parents never went to therapy. Um, nobody I know goes to therapy. Why should I go? Right. Mm. It's you, you are, that's that, um, that nurture, that environment. If no one around you has done something, you're, you're not going to immediately be like, oh, I'm going to go do this thing that nobody else does. Right. You stick with what you know. Um, uh, so we do have, uh, uh, some, I would say that we're, we're less likely to utilize mental health services than our non-melanated counterparts. Uh, but I will say from a therapist standpoint, that is changing. 
uh, especially the year from hell that was 2020. Yeah. I, mm. I truly thought when the pandemic hit, I thought that my business would fail. Um, I had been in business for not, it was almost a year. Um, by the time the lockdowns or the, the shutdowns started happening. Um, and I really thought, okay, well, people aren't working, so they're not going to be able to afford therapy. Um, you know, everything went to be in virtual. I'm like, no one's going to want to do it virtually when we've been doing stuff in the office, right? Um, but what really happened is people needed mental health services more than ever. Think of all that isolation, that anxiety, the the fear, the uh, that damn election that was happening the same year too. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was a nightmare. Um, and so I actually saw my practice, um, be busier than it ever was. And with regards to people of color, my, I would say before the pandemic and before that summer where so many people were dying, uh, black people, Mm-hmm. Um, and the protests and things like that, I would say that the majority of my caseload were white people, um, somewhat affluent, you know, upper middle class, wealthy white people. After the pandemic and the summer of 2020, my caseload, uh, in addition to becoming more busy, became a lot more diverse. And I continue to get um, people of color who contact me to start therapy. And I'll ask, have you ever been to therapy before? And they're saying, no, this is my first time. So I see it changing before my eyes as far as um, people being willing to step out of the norm that they saw, say, the generation before them do. And the, uh, the beautiful thing I'm seeing is that they're actually healing and they're actually saying, mm-hmm. why didn't I do this sooner? I got to tell other people about this. And it's nothing special that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more so we're getting access to the healthcare because mental health is healthcare, right? Just yeah. like going to the doctor is healthcare. When you go to the doctor and you take care of your body, right? You get your blood work done. You take medications. If you need to, you feel better. You have a better life. Same thing happens with mental health. And it's really exciting to see black people access mental health care for the first time and to have a better quality of life as a result. And that's the solution because someone has to do it first and tell somebody who tells somebody who tells somebody. That's how Mm -hmm. we turn this around to where going to therapy is for white people is not the norm anymore. It's a, you better go to therapy or right. in my case, uh, <laughs> I have a, a t-shirt and um, a hoodie. It says go heal bitch. <laughs> right. Yes. Go to therapy. I'm not even going to um, uh, beat around the bush. We, we need to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the problem and the solution in one, but we definitely got a long way to go. But conversations I, like this, I think are very important to yeah. starting the conversation and making a change. I, I know when you were talking, it reminded me of um, 
my uh, grandmother and her generation, it's kind of you kept everything in house. Things were mm. kept private. Mm-hmm. You didn't Don't share business. family yeah. business <laughs> with anybody, especially not to Caucasian people. Right. Mm. Or if you had a problem, you took it to your pastor. That was yeah. a safe place. That was it. But going into therapy. No, you didn't do that. You didn't do that at all. So what what could you say? What are some of the um, treatment options then if people are suffering with depression and anxiety and grief? Is the treatment okay. the same? Or is it different? Okay. So another great question. You are giving me good questions. <laughs> um, so the treatment always should mirror the problem. So we talked about the problem is if we're talking about depression, anxiety, or grief, those things occur in our body, in our mind, and in our social relationships. So, and then if you're a spiritual person and you're spiritual, right? So the treatments follow those that same outline. Uh, your treatment for your depression should deal with your body. Does that mean you need to get more sleep? Does that mean you need to uh, get a gym membership and work out to work on those uh, hormones to level out your depression? Does that mean taking medication? That's part of your body. Um, Emotions, going to therapy. Also, medication can uh, deal with the emotions as well, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Journaling, that deals with the emotions. Um, Social right? If you have depression, you might be isolating, forcing yourself to get out of the house and spend time with people, uh, joining a, uh, a group sport or, a, a, a club or a community activity, right? Uh, doing something to treat that, um, joining a, a Facebook group or, um, you know, a book club or something like that. Right. Um, and then also that spiritual component, if, you know, you have depression, you may have skipped going to church, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you just don't know how to, to deal and you're sleeping so much, right? It may mean, uh, maybe you start by watching church online or if you're, you know, maybe not a, a, a church person, maybe you meditate, you start meditating each day, or maybe you, um, I don't know. Burn some sage, walk it through your house and, and, and burn some sage. Uh, there's spiritual practices. So if the problem is biological, psychological, social, and spiritual, then the treatments need to be biological, psychological, social, and spiritual. And there's hundreds of different things you can do in each of those areas. I love that. Mm-hmm. So someone might be, you know, listening to our podcast and, you know, maybe they're thinking like, you know what, they gave some really good information. I understand what they're saying, but I don't have insurance or the financial means to pay for therapy. So are there any options? My daughter just walked in, so you may hear uh, some toddlers <laughs> okay. in the background, but uh, I'm listening <laughs> to your question. Yes. I mean, are there any options out there for them like i don't know like any type of like grants just anything (laughs) another great question so uh i was talking earlier about how mental care uh, mental health care is health care so 
because it's healthcare, there are so many different ways to access it. Um, if you're if you're a, a, a living on a low income, you most likely qualify for uh, reduced or free healthcare, whether that be through um, you know the healthcare marketplace or through Medicaid or Medicare. Um, once you secure those things, there are lots of providers who accept those uh, insurances, right? If you have health insurance, uh, you may be able to get mental health care through those benefits. And instead of paying the full price, maybe you can get, you can pay like a copay. Um, and then there are people who are uninsured who, uh, they don't have the means to get health insurance or they may not qualify for, uh, Medicaid or Medicare or, um, some assistance for paying for their health care. Uh, you can always talk with a provider uh, directly. So say you find a therapist that you might want to see that might be a good fit. Um, ask them for a sliding scale. Ask them for a reduced rate. Um, I know for me, I have a sliding scale that's based on income. So if, say, I'm talking to somebody and they say, um, well, how much do you cost? I don't have insurance and, you know, I need to go to therapy. Um, I'll tell them my, uh, my price and if, She's getting ready for bed, so she's squeaking. Uh, but uh, uh, I'll ask them, you know, I basically ask, you know, what's the household income? How many people are being supported on that income? And then I have a little chart that I use and I say, well, uh, based on that information, I'm going to drop the rate from this to this um, so that it's more affordable to you. Um, and so most providers do that. And there are some, I mean, I know for myself, um, I keep a couple of uh, slots available for completely free, um, like pro bono work. So um, there are people, you know, uh, you can either ask for a sliding scale or ask if anybody at their practice uh, does any like pro bono work. Um, mm -hmm. There are also, um, I know here in Richmond, we have like um, the health brigade, which is like the free clinic. Uh, if you uh, don't have health insurance and you uh, are within a certain income range, you can actually go to the health brigade or, you know, whatever town you might be listening to this in that you live in. Uh, there's probably a similar program. Basically, you get signed up and there are therapists there who are doing um, therapy and it's no cost to the people going, right? Um, so there's tons of resources. Um, there's um, several like, you know, online companies, directories. Uh, a really good one is uh, Psychology Today. It's an online directory. of mm -hmm. You can literally search for therapists by zip code. And you can even like narrow it down to um, black therapists near me. Right. I actually get a lot of my referrals from people doing a Google search that way. Um, and then it's really just about calling a couple of places and asking your questions. Ask, you know, do you specialize in uh, or have you dealt with clients who have grief or anxiety or depression? Um, how do you typically deal with those things? And most therapists will do a consultation on the phone with you at no charge, like uh, 10 to 15 minutes. At least that's what I do. Sometimes I mess around and end up doing a whole session in the consultation, just like really getting into the 
the information, but, um, you know, you can ask questions to see if it's going to be a good fit and then try a couple sessions. Um, and, you know, based on those different like income and options for paying for or accessing, uh, mental health services. And the same thing goes for medication and, um, you know, even if it's extreme and you need to go to like the hospital and stuff, there's always a million different ways to pay for something. Um, so there's definitely options out there. It's of course, knowing what they are and, um, you know, uh, the, it takes a lot of courage and bravery to, you know, uh, put yourself out there and try to find that help, but definitely do it because quality of life is what's waiting on the other end of that for you. We have a couple more questions to ask you. I know it's getting late, but um, no worries. I do want do want to talk to you a little bit about um, anxiety. Sometimes people are anxious because uh, they're meeting someone new or they're taking a test or a new situation. So when somebody says they have anxiety, what is anxiety? So anxiety, like everything else, exists on a spectrum. Um, imagine everybody has some element of anxiety. So it can be from level zero to level 10, 10 being the most, right? So a person having a panic attack is probably at a 10. Their anxiety is turned up to volume of 10, as high as it goes. And another person may have an anxiety of a three, right? Uh, they have a, an exam coming up and they're just nervous about it. Maybe they've studied and they're prepared, but it's just tests make them anxious. Right. So on the lower end of it, we, we see just like everyday stress level 10, however, can become like a clinical, um, issue where the, the stress has become so overwhelming. It's impacting the quality of life. Right. So anxiety, the term is used a lot. Sometimes mm -hmm. people will say, oh, I have anxiety about cooking for Thanksgiving. Well, to me, anxiety about cooking may be a three or a four. Another person, it might be a 10 because their relatives are really picky and judgmental and, um, they also have been overworked and not getting enough sleep. And uh, they got a bunch of bills piling up at home and they just have all these different things going on. Their anxiety for the exact same thing, like I talked about, it could be the exact same challenge, but it could be experienced differently. Um, it, it really just depends on the person, the environment, the genetics, the situation. Um, but I like to think of anxiety on a spectrum. It can be from mm -hmm. uh, a zero to a 10 and it, and it can vary from day to day. Um, just cause your anxiety is at a 10 today doesn't mean it will stay at a 10 forever or, um, even from one hour to another. So they fluctuate all over the place. Well, I have. A, I know we were talk. We've been talking a lot about, um, you know, the holidays. You know, dealing with um, certain issues. Um, I know for myself, one thing that I found to be helpful um, is, you know, getting a massage because mm -hmm. 
I think I just didn't realize like, you know, like health wise, you know, most people think of a massage as, you know, just something you do for pleasure, for fun. But mm-hmm. I think for it really that. does have health benefits. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about, cause I do it because it does relax my muscles because I can tell mm-hmm. like when I'm um, stressed or I have a lot of anxiety or when I talked mm-hmm. about earlier, having that panic attack, how my muscles actually felt like they were on fire. Like, can you talk to us a little bit about like benefits of that? Not only a massage, mm-hmm. but anything else that someone else can do. That's good. Uh, I also, because I live with an anxiety disorder, I use massage therapy um, as a part of my routine. So in addition to talking to my therapist regularly, taking my medication for anxiety, exercising five to six days a week, uh, trying to eat a balanced diet, get enough water, uh, work-life balance, journaling, uh, you name it, right? I've tried it. Uh, massage therapy has been a big um, part of my self-care. Uh, I actually, this year, have, um, it's my one way to treat myself. It, you don't really treat yourself to self-care, but I've actually put it in my weekly budget to where I budget to go about once a week for massage therapy because I carry a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. um, just from existing Right. Yeah. I told you how my shoulders, my back and my neck literally store the energy of my anxiety. Yeah. And when I go for massage therapy, it's a way to flush that out. Um, and Regina, to your uh, point about it's not just a, um, uh, a relaxation exercise, but it does have physical benefits. Um, you know, when we talk about that energy being stored, when you get a massage, it is uh, re- releasing the toxins from those muscles so that it can be worked out of your system. Um, it's also, um, you know, strengthening and um, kind of cleansing the muscles of the stuff that's like hurting us, right? And I'm I'm sure, and I've been told it like helps with your blood pressure, circulation, mood. Um, it does other stuff, scientifically okay. speaking. Um, so it does have benefits. Um, uh, you had mentioned, well, what are some other things in addition to like massage therapy? I mentioned several, uh, like exercise, medication, mm-hmm. therapy, journaling, uh, you know, going on a walk, uh, you know, doing a FaceTime with someone you haven't talked to in a while, um, getting a coloring book. Grownups can have coloring books too. Um, yeah, color. I do. <laughs> yeah, uh, color. Or um, if you don't have art supplies, get one of the coloring apps on your phone and just like, uh, you know, do the color by number thing on your phone or, um, you know, watch a, a TV show that you've seen a million times so that you don't have to think too hard. Um, and you can kind of just, you know, exist in that knowing what's going to happen and, um, kind of unwind that way, read a book. Um, there's a ton of things that we can do. Um, breathing exercises, uh, do they tend to help people with, with anxiety issues? Yes. So, uh, that, that's a good question. I've had 
a lot of clients who have done like meditation and breathing work, and it's been very helpful to them. Uh, the thing about, at least for me, uh, meditation and breathing exercises are not things that I personally use a lot. Um, but just because it's not something I use doesn't mean it's not beneficial. So, uh, yes, I know that breathing work is actually very beneficial to some people. Some people may, um, benefit so much from it that that's their equivalent to going to a therapist, Mm -hmm. uh, is doing their breathing work or doing their daily meditation or doing their daily journaling. Um, or even, you know, for the religious people, like, uh, doing a devotional or, um, a spiritual practice, um, so, like I said, uh, there's this like menu of different things you can do for your mental health. Not everybody is going to order everything on the menu. Um, I think it's important to know what all the options are, but trying a couple of things and seeing what works for you and what works for me right now in November of 2022 it might not be the exact same things that work for me in November of uh, 2032, mm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. so you can switch it up and you can change it. You don't have to pick like three things and do it forever. Um, we're more complex than that. We can switch it up. That's good advice. (laughs) Um, so if someone feels like they want to talk to a therapist, um, what are some things they should look for in a therapist? Um, Cause I feel like it's, it's, it's good to have somebody that doesn't know you. I know some people might feel it's a little weird talking to a stranger, but I can say from my own personal experience, it helped me talking to someone that did not know me, not that family and friends did not mean well, and I didn't appreciate everything that they were doing but I needed that outside person. So which is someone look for? I know, um, like, like I said, when I had that initial meeting, um, with, um, a therapist to get a referral, she was basically like a referral person. The first therapist I went to, um, of course I was breaking down, um, but I just did not feel a connection. Um, Mm -hmm. It, I mean, I think he was just looking at me and the things he was just saying were just so generic that I truly mm-hmm. did not feel a connection and I never went back. So for me, I knew right away, like, this is not the therapist for me. So when I mm-hmm. got my current therapist, like, um, she's been my therapist for almost four years now. So I do mm-hmm. think it's something that you have to feel a connection with, but what are, what are some things that someone should look for in a therapist? That's a great question. And I have another metaphor for you. Um, finding a therapist is like shopping for a new car. Hmm. So, you know, there's three of us in this conversation, right? Say Hmm. we all need to go buy a car. Regina, you're going to want something particular you may want leather seats a sunroof and three rows of seats right i might want uh something small uh that 
is an electric car that has a bunch of technological features to it, right? Um, and you might want a, a sporty convertible or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is kind of like what shopping for, it sounds weird, shopping for a therapist, but you're mm-hmm. kinda, it's kind of like the same thing as like buying a car. You have to know what mm-hmm. you're looking for to some extent, right? So if I'm dealing with anxiety, well, I one of the top things on my list is somebody who works with anxiety, right? Yeah. Uh, for some people, they want somebody who looks like them, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a black person, you might want a black therapist. If you're a guy, you might want a male therapist. Um, if you're a mother, you might want a therapist that has kids. Uh, if you're uh, LGBTQIA+, you might want somebody who is either specialized, a member, uh, you know, specialized in working with uh, the community or somebody who is a member of the community themselves. Um, there are a lot of different ways that you can kind of narrow down your search for a therapist. And the cool thing about living in the digital age is you go to Google <laughs> and you type in, uh, say, black male therapist near me and a bunch of people will pop up. And when you start with those kind of like, if you make like a top three, because when you go car shopping, you might say, okay, I want an electric vehicle with a sunroof and I want heated seats. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a therapist, you might be like, I want a black male experience in anxiety that has kids and uh, offers in-person sessions, right? So it's like that's my that's my kind of wish list. I'm gonna try to find somebody who meets most of those needs, right? And yeah. sometimes when you're car shopping, you don't get everything on your list, but you can find something that you can live with and that you like and that you're comfortable with. So you oftentimes don't buy the very first car that you look at when you go Mm -hmm. car shopping. So know that if you go to therapy, especially black people, brown people, if you go to therapy one time and it's not a good fit, don't think that all therapy is not a good fit. That just means you test drove the wrong car. Hmm. Go try a different different dealership. Right. Yeah. Or sometimes the expectation is that the therapist is going to fix everything. So I'm going to go yes. that one time and then I'm going to go away better. Right. Fix me. So, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if it worked like that, I would charge higher rates because <laughs> uh, it would be a one and done thing. Oh, well, I fixed you. Um, that'll be this price. Right. Uh, but like most things in life, um, and kind of going back to that, like working out metaphor, uh, we're going to therapy to work a particular muscle, right? It might be our anxiety muscle. It might be our grief muscle. It might be our depression muscle, right? You don't go to the gym one day and then walk out ripped. (laughs) You got to go to the gym several days for several months for Mm -hmm. several years to go from flab to ripped, right? Yeah. Um, to work in. That's, yeah, that's kind of what our mental health does. And not everything takes years to, to deal with. You'd be surprised. I mean, some people do 
grief counseling, they have three or four sessions and they're really feeling very, very much better. Some people go to grief counseling and they go for years, right? It's just really depends on the person, the situation, the context, their support systems, their genetics, their, their hormones, their everything. Like, um, there's no one size fits all. Yeah, you can have short term, long term, or even maintenance therapy. That's something that mm-hmm. I enjoy doing. Um, I don't go on doing a regular a basis. I do a check in every now and again just to make sure my mind is right. <laughs> it's like going in and getting your oil changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, what is the one thing you want listeners to take away from today's discussion? I'm trying to think of a best way to say this. It's been a great conversation. Uh, I would say be kind to yourself. Mm. Mm -hmm. I say it to my clients at the end of every session because I'm saying it to myself every day. Um, Being kind to yourself is a very simple phrase to say. It is the most, for a lot of people, the most difficult thing to do, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Some people may uh, not have a hard time being kind to themselves emotionally, but they have a hard time being kind to themselves physically. Maybe they work 75 hours a week, right? Uh, They're not being kind to themselves. But another person may have a good work-life balance, but they're not kind to themselves and how they talk to themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I say, be kind to yourself. And, you know, on this topic of mental health, if you don't know how to be kind to yourself in one way or another, there are a million different options on how to get better at being kinder to yourself. Um, and so that's kind of what mental health and all of this is about is learning ways to be kinder to yourself so that you can have a better quality of life. That's what it's all about in the end. Yeah. We don't just want to live and breathe and exist. We want to live, breathe, exist, possibly have some fun along the way, possibly make an impact, possibly um, uh, have some great experiences and stories to tell along the way. That's what quality of life is. And it all starts with being kind to yourself. That was good. Well, Janzel, we want to thank you for coming on our podcast today. You have shared some great information and we hope that the information that you shared will help someone who is dealing with any of the issues that we discussed today, that they will be led to reach out for help um, because help is available, um, like you said, and um, no matter the race or financial status, there is help for everyone. So we thank you mm-hmm. again for um, taking the time out to talk with us and sharing the information. Thank you for having me. And how can we reach you? Would you like okay. to share your information? Sure. Thank you. Um, so if you are in the Commonwealth of Virginia, I offer sessions throughout the state of Virginia uh, virtually. So you can find me at panoramiccounseling.com. If you're in the Richmond area, I also offer sessions in person. uh, So in the Richmond and surrounding area, uh, I do in-person sessions as well. So the best place to find me is panoramiccounseling.com. I'm 
I'm also on Instagram and uh, I have a podcast. So if you're looking for my podcast, the easiest way is to just search my first name, John Zell, J-O-H-N-Z-E-L-L-E. And that's usually the easiest way to find it. But the podcast is called Perfectly Imperfect. Um, and that's where I talk uh, pretty in-depth about mental health in communities of color. So, um, yeah, those are a couple of ways to to get at me. And also, we want to um, let our listeners know, um, you can also email us if you have um, any questions um, regarding this um, podcast or any future podcasts that we will have. You can email us at rnrexperience1 at gmail.com. If you're in crisis, you can call the U.S. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. You can reach them anytime, day or night. You can also contact them through the crisis text line by simply texting 988. That is 988 for free confidential support, day or night. You are not alone.